0: You're listening to the Average Conservationist podcast brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at GoHunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and seek outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors coffee roasters and even piano repair companies have earned two percent certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop learn more about two percent for conservation at fish and wildlife.org that's fish and wildlife.org <laughs> What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday, and welcome back to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Uh, Today on the podcast, I am joined by Kelsey Johnson, and Kelsey is the owner of K. Ray Artwork and Illustrations Company out of Bozeman, Montana, and really, Kelsey and I get to have a a pretty in-depth conversation um, about her artwork, uh, where her inspiration comes from, Um, why she decided to kind of pursue, um, the style of, of art that she does, whether it's painting or some of her graphite drawings, uh, and really go through the whole process, um, from where she's getting, again, the, the ideas and the inspiration behind it to kind of the, the whole process from beginning to end, how long it takes all of that good stuff, taking a deep dive into that, um. We get into Kelsey's upbringing in the outdoors and how that's kind of shifted uh, from growing up in Pennsylvania to now living in Montana. Um, gets to tell a little bit about her favorite um, animal that she hunts, which is turkey, which I know she's um, just had a chance to to go out on an uh, early season turkey hunt out there in Montana. So, get to hear about that. Um, and then really go into, you know the conservation side of the company and why that's so important to her uh, and some of the organizations uh, that she's giving back to um, with her time and dollars. Um, One of the things that we forgot to uh, mention on the podcast is that Kelsey will be uh, at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers uh, rendezvous this year. Uh, she'll be there with Danner and doing a wildlife painting um, that they will be auctioning off, and all proceeds from that painting will go directly back to BHA. So if you're attending um, the BHA rendezvous this year, I highly suggest you, um, you check out the Danner booth, see what Kelsey's working on, and uh, definitely be sure to get in on the bidding for that. So episode 47, Kelsey Johnson, uh, enjoy. Uh, Before we get into the episode, though, I want to take a minute to tell you guys about a new partner that we have on the podcast, and that is Wild Rivers Coffee Company. Uh, If you recall, I had Wild Rivers on the podcast back uh, episode 29. Uh, Marshall and Sammy are the owners of Wild Rivers Coffee, and ever since... I had them on the on the podcast a while back. There, I've been drinking their coffee, and I'm a big fan. Uh, I love it. My wife loves it. Um, regardless of if you take it black, if you like a little bit of cream in it, however you like it, they've got you know different blends that they suggest that you try depending upon how you like to take the coffee. Um, and they're actually the ones that are responsible responsible for getting me into uh, pour over coffee. So I can thank them for that because that's been a complete game changer. For me, but uh, at Wild Rivers Coffee, they're roasting in small batches, so they ensure that your coffee arrives at its peak freshness. Uh, wild Rivers is also a proud partner with Two Percent for Conservation. Uh, they believe in preserving their wild place, the wild places and wild things that bring all of us so much joy. Uh, that's why everything that they sell, uh, a portion of the proceeds are donated uh, to conservation groups that are near and dear to them. So groups like Trout Unlimited backcountry hunters and anglers ducks unlimited and the rocky mountain elk foundation um so definitely be sure to go to wild to order fresh roasted beans uh they have mugs uh, a lot of cool merchandise i've got one of their shirts that's you know coming from a guy who sells shirts uh they're they're top notch very cool designs that they all come up with themselves um uh, printed on super soft shirts um They now offer, as I said, mugs, um, different um, accessories for uh, grinding your coffee, for pour over. Uh, It's kind of a a one-stop shop really for all of your coffee needs. Um, And definitely be sure to use the code FISH underscore WILDLIFE at checkout um, to save over there. Uh, And that's all caps. So FISH underscore WILDLIFE at checkout um, to save some money with them. So definitely be on the lookout for uh, some giveaways and things that we're going to be doing in the future, but super excited. Uh, I really believe in what Marshall and Sammy are doing over there at Wild Rivers Coffee. Uh, they're great people who have a great passion for the outdoors and great coffee. And for all of us outdoorsmen and outdoorswomen, uh, coffee is kind of a lifeblood for us. Um, whether it's early morning, you know, on the river in a duck blind in the back country, whatever it is, um, You can't beat a good cup of coffee to start your day. So definitely be sure to check them out at WildRiversCoffeeCo.com. All right. With me today, I have the owner of 2% Certified K-Ray Artwork and Illustrations Company, Kelsey Johnson. Kelsey, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you. I know that... uh, we actually kind of put this all together in in a pretty quick time frame. Uh, I know we mm-hmm. I'd reached out last week and we were able to set something up. So I'm excited to to hear more about your company and the work that you're doing with conservation.
1: Well, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No i've uh, I've been following uh, I, I've been following you you know, on Instagram for a while, and you know the artwork and We'll get into it some more. It's just it's incredible, and, and I, you're extremely talented. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So first uh, I I kind of I mentioned it before but I'm always super envious uh, of people who have abilities that no matter how much I practice or try like people just have gifts right they're they're born with them and I think that people especially uh in the artistic community um whether it's you know being able to take photographs draw paint whatever the case is it's it's always something that that fascinates me so I kind of want to dive right into that and and talk about, you know, when you first realized that you kind of had a gift for, for art and photography.
1: Well, thank you. That's very nice. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of been something that's been in me from the beginning. And I, I do think that some people can achieve a skill through working really hard to practice and develop it. I certainly see that all the time, but, um, I just always wanted to draw, kind of had an affinity for it. Um, I, I do have this weird notion that like some of it is genetic. My father is a very good artist, although he never uh, pursued it professionally. And my brothers, I have two older brothers, are very talented musically. So um, I think some type of art is kind of just in our blood. Mm-hmm. And for me, it manifests through uh, drawing and now painting. Um, so it was something I always kind of like dabbled in, but, uh, grew up with the message that I think unfortunately is like very common that you can't make a lot of money or make a living <laughs> doing, a, you know, a creative pursuit. So it wasn't anything I really put a lot of stock in. I did my, uh, you know, the typical high school classes and maybe a course in college that was required as far as art goes, but, um, no, it was just something I always dabbled in and then, uh, started to take it more seriously when people around me in my later years, you know, my early twenties, later years, early (laughs) twenties, um, more recently were like, Hey, you should consider doing this professionally. We think you can make it. So it was actually other people in my life encouraging me to take it more seriously. That kind of sparked the business.
0: Yeah. No, my idea when, when I, to, to kind of preface what I had mentioned earlier, my idea of a good drawing for me is like a 3D box, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you kind of, you, you get where I'm coming from here. Yeah, but, yeah. So if you hadn't pursued or gone down the path that you are, uh, the path that you're on now with uh, with your artwork, what would you have done?
1: Um, That's a great question. I would like to think that I would have um, pursued some type of like, biologist position, you know, I'm really interested in wildlife, but actually what I did and what this is, not a lot of people know this because I, I don't talk about it often. It's, I want, um, you know, full-time art is my goal. So I try mm-hmm. to focus everything that I'm putting out there on the art. You could say manifest. Um, but I'm actually, I'm actually a sales manager, uh, territory manager for an agricultural technology company. So, um, that was what I went to college for. I graduated with a degree in ag business and agronomy. Um, so that was like my professional pursuit. And I still am um, involved in that professionally. So I guess I would still be you know, pursuing that more seriously for a future if I hadn't really considered artwork okay. as like my, my dream or my goal.
0: Yeah. So how long have you, or how long ago did you start your company?
1: I started, I think in late 2018, um, you could say seriously. So that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to try to, um, you know, gain financially from this. This is, that's when I started my website. Um, which is crazy that that's three years ago. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's when I made the decision to start professionally.
0: Okay. Now you're, you're located there in Bozeman. Are you originally from there?
1: No, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I've lived in Bozeman for almost three years now, and there's been a, a few stops on the way.
0: Okay. Now, I noticed not only do you have um, you know, various styles of, of paintings and then your, your graphite drawings as well, when did you kind of get into the world of photography?
1: Um, photography has is kind of an auxiliary pursuit to my art. Um, I've... Always thought it was really cool, been interested in it, loved the work of photographers. Um, it was it was kind of one of the things that uh, made my boyfriend catch my attention. He's a really accomplished, amazing photographer, and that's kind of how I was able to start that conversation, saying, hey, I love your work. Um, there you go. There's but, an in. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and, you know, he. it was one of those things where, like, he had the knowledge – and possess the skills to make me more seriously introduced to photography. So could make like the recommendations on equipment and, and so forth. So that gave me the confidence to say, okay, I'm actually going to like buy a camera and get involved in this. And, um, I think a photography is almost like a release. Like my artwork is so tedious. It takes a really long time. It can be frustrating at times. Um, and then to have the ability to just go out there and capture a beautiful image in a short amount of time, is really it's a it's a nice contrast to my artwork. So, I do do some professional photography work, but I really try to keep it more as like a fun thing. Yeah, uh, to have that contrast to my artwork.
0: Yeah. So now, as far as your your paintings and, and your drawings, what like where do you get the inspiration from, or, or you know how? how do you go about deciding, you know, what your next piece is going to be?
1: Yeah, this is something that, um, has been a developing story over the last few years. Um, I've, you know, my main inspiration and kind of my original inspiration for, and you'll see this a lot in my older work is wildlife. Um, I, it's my favorite thing to photograph. I love wildlife. I love spending time out in the habitats that they, you know, where they live and, capturing those images. So it was kind of a no-brainer to just translate that into my artwork. Um, and, and my artwork has evolved a lot since then. So, like, my original thing was graphite works of wildlife. And I still do a lot of that. Um, but it's I've taken an interest in the Western art world. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that still does include wildlife work. But now uh, you'll see a lot in my paintings and drawings, like, kind of ranch life. Yeah. Um, and I've, when I was growing up and kind of dabbling in art, I, my main focus and what I was really interested in creating was portraits, and I just made like a small concentration of portrait work, portraiture, in high school, and I loved it so much. But then I kind of just deviated from that because it was it it's hard to uh, market portraits of like one person to the masses
0: right yeah so
1: i thought but it's there's actually a huge interest in it in the western art world so i'm returning to the the idea of portraiture i think in my work moving forward you're going to see a lot of that i really like emotions i really like expression i um i just love to paint and draw like the human figure in a situation where you can really tell just by looking at the painting like what that person is thinking or going through so that's kind of like my concentration moving forward.
0: Yeah. And I've noticed some of the, the recent things that you've at least posted about or that I've even seen on your website when I was looking around is yeah, like, like you, you mentioned the, the ranch life and you can see, you know, ranchers, uh, you know, on their horses and, and you know, living uh, the ranch life. And it, it, you do a very, very good job of kind of like you just mentioned capturing like the moment and being able to really almost kind of transplant yourself into um, you know, the position that they're in it and kind of almost like feeling the struggle or, or understanding what they're going through. So no, you, you're you're doing a very good job with that.
1: Thanks. I'm really fortunate. Actually, I want it to be authentic. This is not something I think that there's um, this unfortunate romanticism about the West. Um, and I, I'm really trying to avoid playing on that. So all of my works are uh, images that I've seen myself. You know, I make these relationships with ranchers and I go out and I spend a day at, at their branding or I say, Hey, I really want to capture like this emotion. What are you going to be doing that will translate that to a, a piece of art? And I've had, uh, it's just been so much fun to create relationships with some of these local ranches here in Montana. Cause they'll, they now, I, I mean, they text me all the time. They're like, Hey, we're doing a branding. Hey, we're rounding up some cattle. Do you want to come hang out? And that's where my work is coming from now. It's like real life.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the best way I think when it's not staged, right? When it's mm-hmm. not, oh, here I'm gonna you know do this pose or, or something like that, and yeah, you know try to, you can tell. to yeah, exactly. You can tell when something isn't authentic, and yeah, to be able to just you know intertwine with their everyday lifestyle as being a rancher, yeah, that's when you're going to capture you know what's the, the true essence of a rancher, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: So, how long does it take? So, from from the painting side of things, how long does it take from like you know once you have an image that you want to recreate? You know, how long does that process take?
1: Forever. <laughs> it really does feel like it takes forever. Um, I'm I'm devoting a lot of my free time to it now. So, it depends on the size of the piece and like the, um, the intricacies. I don't just paint from a photo. I actually combine um, a few different scenes into one painting. Um, so like I'm working on this piece right now, it's an 18 by 24. I think it will have taken me from start to finish three weeks. Turkey season starts this weekend. So probably that will be a little bit longer. (laughs) Um, It depends on like how much time I can just sit down and work on it. But, um, I'd say under a month for the larger pieces.
0: That's still, and that's. That's a long time, especially when you think about the concentration and everything that has to go into it, because you look at a piece of art and I think a lot of people probably tend to think like, oh, they just sat down and like in one shot, they just got it all done, right? That'd and, be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, because I assume that's not the case. I mean, how easy or difficult is it like if if you make a mistake and you have to go back to try to correct it?
1: um it de- that the medium definitely plays into that with paint it's not so hard because you can just you know paint over it and fix with graphite it's a lot harder um erasing doesn't always fix the problem um yeah i guess it's i'm actually going to try to post a little bit more of like the the layers because for me okay. for me at least oil pa- and i'm not a classically trained painter so i like take everything I say with a grain of salt a professional might disagree with this but there's layers a lot of layers to this so like the first pass what which would be like the first time you lay paint down on the canvas to start building up on what the final image will be looks like total garbage and I kind of I've I've always been really blown away by seeing the first pass of a painting that ends up being an amazing painter or painting by a painter that I really respect it's like When you see that, it almost makes it more doable to you Mm because you're like, oh, man, you know, it can be really discouraging when you're starting this and it just looks like a dumpster fire. (laughs) But um, yeah, I guess it just really the how hard it is to fix something just depends on, I guess, the medium you're working with.
0: Sure. That's understandable. That that makes sense. So now of all the pieces that, that you've done over the years, what's probably your favorite one?
1: Oh, man, that's a tough question. It's um, like asking
0: a parent what's their, who's their favorite kid, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I don't know. I actually, I'll, I'll just put this out here cause it's uh fresh in my mind. I just finished a piece I call land of the desert poppy and it's a, it's a bison. I love making art about bison and around the Buffalo. Um, it's like a, it's a painting of a bison. It's pretty large and it's just kind of a profile portrait. It's set in the Sonoran desert and a poppy bloom and, um, it's one of my favorites, just because it's it was really fun for me to create that. It's a fun, colorful piece, um, and there's just a lot going on there with that painting. So it's probably my favorite. I don't know. There's a it's it depends on the mood the, I'm in. I the guess. day of the
0: week, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the one that that I really like. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, all your work is incredible, but the one that that really kind of stands out to me. I don't remember the name of it. So forgive me. Uh, but it's it's of a rancher. Um, he has like a mustache. And I don't know. Which one? Oh. Which, which painting is this?
1: Um, I think it's okay. Here I have a print actually on my desk. This guy?
0: That's the one.
1: Right yeah, there. it's called um, Sage Dust Bandit. That's the name yeah. of this painting.
0: <laughs> so one of my all time favorite movies growing up was Tombstone. And he looks yep. just like uh, Johnny Ringo from Tombstone. And like when yeah, I first I saw haven't... it, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, how did, like, why would she paint a picture of him, right? But then it's, you know, when you kind of see your story and and unwrap that a little bit, like, it makes I, I understand where it came from. But no, that's I don't know why. Maybe it just makes me think of my childhood. But that's that's definitely my favorite one of your pieces.
1: Well, thank you. A, a lot of people were like Johnny Ringo. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's. I worked with a photographer named Ben Christensen. Actually, he took this image. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I, can I please work from that? It, that was a really fun one to do. Cause like I said, I've, I'm interested in portraiture. Um, so this one was kind of a no brainer for me.
0: Yeah, no, it turned out, it turned out awesome. Thanks. So let me ask you, Kelsey, how was it that you were, uh, being from Pennsylvania there? How was it that you were first introduced to the outdoors?
1: Um, It's been a really interesting journey. I didn't grow up in a hunting family. I would say that there were plenty of opportunities in my childhood to be outdoors. You know, my grandparents had a camper and they would take us camping all the time. Um, My mom and my dad were, they always felt it was important to take us hiking and um, enroll us in like nature programs. So it was kind of like a soft introduction to the outdoors, not close to anything I'm doing these days, but, um, I guess, and I can't really explain it, but I just had this love for hiking. Mm -hmm. So my childhood was a lot of just sneaking off and kind of hiking around the woods. And we had two labs were by no means hunting dogs, but just kind of following them out in the woods and, um, just spending time outdoors. So that was, that's kind of my foundation for, this outdoor lifestyle that I really enjoy pursuing now.
0: So kind of taking it one step further, when was it that you were introduced to like hunting and angling and those types of things that you pursue regularly now?
1: <laughs> um, I, I would consider myself like vehemently opposed to hunting in my early years. I was an animal lover. I could in no way fathom harming an animal, even though I grew up, eating meat. It just, there was a disconnection there that I think, uh, the hunting and conservation world has, we have these conversations every day now. Right. But to me, it was just kind of, I, I didn't like it. Right. So then I, after I graduated college, I moved out to Nebraska um, for a role and it was there that I was introduced to backcountry hunters and anglers because I was in this position where I lived in Southeast Nebraska and there's like 0% public land. So I went from living in, uh, Maryland, I had access to the Appalachian trail. I could hike wherever and whenever I wanted, but then I moved to Nebraska and you can't go anywhere. (laughs) I mean, there, you, there's absolutely no public land. I had to actually drive hours away just to be able to hike. So I'm, And I had no idea what was going on. The notion of public land. Yeah, it it was. There was a huge disconnect there for me. So it, it was a light bulb moment of like, wait a minute, what is this? And how do I learn where I can go? And so the public lands conversation really brought me to the hunting world. And it's just the endless information of, okay, so public land is actually like a thing. Yeah. You have to care about to protect. And I think it was really, um, you know, formed kind of this passion in me when I had that taken away Yeah. to really realize how important this conversation is. So I, um, got more involved with learning about this and at that time met my boyfriend Seth, who was living in Helena, Montana, and was like deeply immersed in this world. And he was really a catalyst for me to learn more about it, joined backcountry hunters and anglers. Um, just kind of was drinking from the fire hose of what is conservation (laughs) and why it's important and how you can learn more about it. And then from there, obviously got, um, involved in hunting and had a perspective change on what hunting is, um, at that time.
0: Yeah, it's, you make a good point there when you talked about maybe the kind of this, this disconnect with, with public lands, because, you know, where you grew up, you had access to it you know, like you mm-hmm. said, right out your back door and you could just go and hike and, and do whatever you wanted kind of at the drop of a hat, right? right? And even, and you think about the public lands, you know, in the Midwest and in the East. I mean, I'm, I'm here in Michigan. So, you know, there's there's plenty of, of public land, so to speak, that I can recreate on or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. But then when you look at it from the perspective of like the Western states, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's almost like, you know, multiplied by, you know, 50 with with the the swaths of land that there are out there for the public to recreate on. And you you also made a good point with there's been like this movement over the last, you know, call it five to seven years of, you know, the importance of public lands and, Mm -hmm. you know, all the different things that threaten that. And I think, you know, social media has played a big part in that with being able to, you know, see, you know, someone here in the Midwest can see, you know, what's going on in the West and, you know, how, yep. you know, lands are being sold off or, you know, landlocked, you know, pieces of public that are landlocked that you can't access and, and things like that. So it's um, it's nice to to be able to understand really how the whole mechanism for for public lands works. And, yeah, I'd imagine, as you kind of pointed out there, being in Nebraska, it's it's kind of eye opening, right?
1: Yeah, it's like that saying, you don't know what you had until it was gone. It was kind of the inverse for me. I just had this kind of mind-blowing revelation uh, going through that experience. So definitely sparked the interest to me.
0: Yeah. So now that you're kind of fully immersed in, in the outdoor lifestyle, what is your favorite animal that you like to hunt?
1: Um, that's a great question. I think we're coming up on it now. I turkey season starts this weekend. I love hunting turkeys because, um, when I was living in Nebraska, I, I worked with farmers and that was the opportunity I had to, to hunt and kind of introduce myself to the world of hunting. And I did this all by myself. So I, I have a lot of really fond memories of turkey hunting. There's so many reasons why I like it. There, uh, super exciting to hunt it's the time of the year you get to get out after a long winter of um you know being stuck inside and the world is waking up there's like baby animals everywhere there's green grass and wildflowers it's just like the most fun time for me to be out and you know on the public lands and um I, you know, it's on the tail of having a freezer full of deer meat yeah. and elk or whatever, red meat. So you get a little bit of the variety. I just, there's so many reasons why I love it.
0: Well, well no, yeah. Turkey season starts here a uh, week and a half, I think. Yeah, next weekend. So yeah. Are you pumped? I, yeah, I am. <laughs> so here's the thing. I, I never turkey hunted growing up. I, I did primarily like upland birds and waterfowl and whitetail. Okay. Yeah. And, um, when I married my wife, her brother, um, he's big into the outdoors and and, and her dad were, was, is as well. So, and they always turkey hunted and I had never done it. So he was like, yeah, like this was maybe a handful of years ago. He's like, yeah, like let's, let's, let's try our hand at, you know, I I want you to try turkey hunting. So I'm like, all Uh right, yeah, let's do it. So they have some property and we went out hunting and I was just so ill prepared. It was much colder (laughs) than I anticipated that morning and we are on just like a a a private piece of property that they own and it's not huge but they've had a lot of success there over the years Mm -hmm. so i didn't and i i'd imagine that turkey hunting in the midwest is a little bit different than like the west because i'm a lot more stationary here and i feel like in the west you can probably be you know you can sit in the spot you know call or Mm -hmm. whatever and if you don't see very mobile yeah, yeah exactly we're here and i'm sure there's a lot of guys here in the midwest that are that do it more mobile but Our setup that day was very stationary and I didn't have like a chair to sit, like a small chair to sit on. So I'm sitting on the ground, I'm cold, you know, my ass is freezing. I'm like, and we're not seeing any of him. Like this is the worst. Like this, this turkey hunting stuff is for the birds, literally.
1: Just just like sucks (laughs) right out of the gate.
0: Yeah. And I think we tried it like the next morning and we just, I was a bit more prepared, but we still didn't see any birds. And then I tried it again later in the season because our season runs for a little while and just, just didn't have a great experience and then was planning to do it again last year and then with COVID and all that stuff, it didn't happen. So this year this year is the year. I'm, I'm going to fully dedicate myself to It's your time to, it. to shine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> well, I'm excited
1: for you. It's, to me, it's just really exciting. I think my time, I look back on my time learning to hunt in that turkey season in Nebraska so fondly because – I was like the season before I was like, okay, I'm into this hunting thing. I'm going to do it. I bought a bow, you know, I didn't own a shotgun or anything yeah. at that time. So I'm like, I'm going to go hunt turkeys with a bow, which is really hard to do. And like, I probably wouldn't do at this point now. Um, and just was an epic fail every weekend, but, or every day that I went out, I was out during the week too. But the fun thing was I got to call a lot of birds in. Yeah. Yeah really close so I had this experience where like I was failing but I was also having these really amazing interactions with the wildlife and I'd be sitting there and like a doe and a fawn would walk five feet away just that whole season to me was um you know solidified my relationship with hunting because it was not only the pursuit of the resource but also the time and appreciation spent in those areas watching all these things happen it was like mind-blowing to me so yeah um, I'm rooting for you. I hope you uh, you have a good season. Yeah.
0: Th- thank you. Yeah. Good luck to you as well. And I think what you just kind of touched on there, that first year, the first couple years there, when you weren't able to to kill a bird, but you had all these amazing interactions with calling birds in, and then just the other wildlife that that you encountered. And I think for me, like that's that's one of the things that I love most about hunting, right? Is is just mm-hmm. being able to witness the things that you are while you're out there, while you're just, you know, you well. I don't turn my phone off when I'm in the tree stand, but you know it's it's in my coat, it's in my it's tucked mm-hmm. away, and you're just you're hyper vigilant, you're hyper aware of everything that's going on, and you know the things that you're able to to witness when you just sit still and don't do anything. I mean, I saw yeah, when I was um, deer hunting this year, I had a bobcat try to sneak up on some young yearling deers and, and chase them out of a field. I mean, it's just it was just these crazy things that I've never seen, and it's yeah, it's it's incredible. If and I wish you know, more people would take that opportunity to, to enjoy those types of things because you, you can't really get that anywhere else.
1: Yeah. And I love what you said there. And I, I don't even think you have to hunt. I mean, if yeah. you just go, I mean, if, if there's someone out there that's not like super into hunting or isn't there yet, like go shed hunting and yeah. you get the same experiences. It's just it's just being so excited about those really cool outdoor experiences that you don't get unless you really get out there and take the time to be on the landscape. Um, I think that's the coolest part.
0: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. So kind of sticking with the, the outdoors and hunting, I wanna shift gears towards the, the conservation side of your business. So mm-hmm. obviously you guys are, you are 2% certified. So mm-hmm. how is it that you first learned about 2% for conservation?
1: Um, I think it was just through the, the BHA world. Um, I can't remember. I'm really, uh, you know, I'm good friends with Jared now. And I can't remember where I first met him. Um, you know, when I first started dating Seth, we would, I would visit Bozeman often before making the decision to move here. So I can't remember if it was just through a friend circle or at an actual event. Um, might have been a rendezvous a couple years ago. Okay, But I just you know, it's, it's kind of a no brainer to me if you're interested in the outdoors and you're very passionate about any of it, hunting, you know, habitat, any of it, you should be making the effort to uh, participate in the conservation side of things. So I, I can't remember exactly how I found out about 2%, but once I did, it was kind of a no brainer that I wanted to utilize my business to support them.
0: Yeah. No. And that's, I I love that you say that. And I've, I've had, you know, numerous guests on who have kind of echoed that same thing. They said, you know, once I learned about it and found out what it was to become a member was a no brainer. Right. And that's, (laughs) I wish more people had that outlook on things because especially if you're, you know, an active, you know, participant in, you know, the consumptive side of, of outdoor recreation, you should absolutely be trying to give back whatever you can. I mean, even if you don't qualify for 2% for conservation, right, which is, you know, 1% of your time, 1% of your money. And as you know, that's 21 hours throughout the course of the year. And it's, I I understand that for, for maybe a a single person that might be asking a lot. um, But for, especially for businesses where it Mm -hmm. doesn't change, it's still 21 hours. It's so attainable. And there's so Mm -hmm. many different things that you can do to qualify for those 21 hours. And, it it, to it's an easy investment to make right and I I just wish more people yeah and I wish more people would just look into it and realize how easy it is how easy it is to become certified and realize you know the impact that one person one company can have in terms of conservation
1: Yeah. I, I really like the name of your podcast, actually the average conservationist, because it's like, if I (laughs) think about me personally, um, you know, everybody is strapped for money in some way. It's, it's really hard to give your hard earned dollars up for anything other than like, you know, your, what you need to sustain your life, but it's important in this case. And, um, you know, the time for me, I'm really trying to grow my business. So, all my effort and all my time is put into growing this business and actually physically producing the work because it takes so much time, but yeah, 21 hours at a minimum. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's, it should not be hard to commit that at least if you are, like you said, on the consumptive side of these activities.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can get that done in a month, just, you know, four or five hours a day on a Saturday, if you want to give up that time or on a Sunday and just, you know, clean up a trailhead, you know, volunteer if there's an event going on that you can make it up, you know, pretty quickly if, if you really kind of set out and, and see what's out there.
1: Yeah. And I think another important message here to uh, the diverse public, I mean, you have, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, where you live. It doesn't have to be, I think there's this like false notion that it has to be some extreme act or that you have to be so immersed in like the backcountry life yeah. to be able to participate in some of these activities. But no, like, um, I'm looking out in my neighborhood and there's a little stream that runs through the field across from my house and it's filled with trash. And like, um, you know, and saying this now I'm gonna take it upon myself to go clean that up because there's mallards that live in there. Yeah. Um, you know, we have like a little a flock of hungarian partridge that live in that area and it's just it doesn't have to be such an extreme act you can just take it upon yourself to clean up your neighborhood or like you said go to a local fishing access and clean it up it doesn't have to be this like really well-planned right. extreme effort
0: yeah no you're absolutely right and you kind of hit the nail on the head there when i think when people think about Being a conservationist, they think they have to do things on the scale that you know, like some of these you know big companies, big brands are doing, and they have to realize that that's just not possible, right? And that's Mm -hmm. I always kind of end my podcast with saying, you know, like conservation starts with you, right? Because it's it's you it's amazing the the difference that just one person can make, even if, like you said, it's just cleaning up things around your apartment or around your home in your neighborhood, right? Whatever the case is, I mean that's 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 affecting, you know, what is is living right directly there mm-hmm. and just because it's not you know you just because you're not going to hunt there or you're not going to fish there doesn't mean that animals don't still live there you know
1: mm-hmm. absolutely
0: yeah and and kind of going back to what you mentioned about the name of the podcast when i started the average conservationist it was kind of boiled down to where i was at in my life right like i i was working a regular job and I just didn't really love it, and I was trying to spend all my free time hunting or fishing. And I was kind of looking. I took a step back, and I was like, "Man, there's so many people that I know that are are just like that, right? Like they're they're average people who work jobs and, and do this, and spend their vacation time or their you know their free nights and weekends out hunting or out fishing or, or trying to give back." And I'm like, "You know, there's way more people like that that make up the world of conservation and all these great conservation organizations than." you know, like some of the, you know, the bigger names in the conservation world that are are able to kind of use their platform for, for better and things like that. So I'm like, you know, the average conservationist, like it's kind of a mouthful, but I think it kind of really resonates with a lot of just everyday people out there.
1: Yeah, I think it's an important message for sure.
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> what, uh, what are some of the organizations that you're giving back to?
1: So I, one of my favorite, I think another thing is overwhelming is there's so many, which is great. Yeah. Um, my my favorite to give back to, and I do in many ways, is TRCP. I really appreciate what they're doing because, like I said, I'm so immersed in growing my business right now, but they do such a good job of informing um, the public on what they are doing, why they're doing it and how's it going? Like, yeah, it's not just that you need to, uh, donate for this cause or call in for this bill. They actually like keep you updated on how that's going and what, you know, what the outcomes are. Um, so I feel like it's this ongoing conversation, um, you know, the progression of the fight. So I really like TRCP. I'm a monthly donor. Um, I incorporate them into a few of my giveaways. And then I also do um, what I call a conservation Christmas, which is for a whole month, the month of November, I take $5 from every item sold on my website. um, And I donate it to them, which has been, I'm, gonna continue to do that i really i have a great relationship with several people that work there and i just think like wit you know i see emails from him updates on what's going on all the time and i just really appreciate that because it's like we're saying for the average conservationist to have that constant communication from an organization on what we need to know boiled down is really beneficial if you're not like immersed in the legislature every day if you're not immersed in the issues every day, I find them to be um just a really great overall organization. Um and then I'll donate some artwork to really any conservation organization that reaches out throughout the year, uh, Rocky Mountain Oak Foundation, um, the Turkey organizations, the GOAT Alliance. Um, I have a ton of conservation organizations that reaches out, and say, Hey, we're doing a banquet, can you donate a print? Whatever. I'm I love doing that. I do it all the time.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And I know you had done uh, like a a kind of a limited edition um, design that was turned into a t-shirt with 2%. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so that was so fun. And I'm really thankful that uh, Jared thought of me to participate in that. They did kind of an artist series. Um, It was a really cool idea. The idea was you pick an organization to support um, and then you have, you make this design that's like a conglomeration of, uh, um, uh, wildlife and, in its habitat. And this was two years ago. So I'm trying to remember exactly how that went, but I did, I, I wanted to support the initiative for Bristol Bay. So I drew a spawning salmon run within the form of a grizzly bear. So it was like two, um, animals from that habitat and you kind of have to incorporate them into the design, um, that was great. I think if I'm not wrong, we raised like $2,000 for, oh, wow, B- awesome. for Yeah, for BHAs um Bristol Bay Initiative. Okay. So that was yeah, and I just I think that that's so cool that organizations come up with fun and creative ways to give back and involve artists in that. So I was super stoked to be a part of that one.
0: Yeah, and I think that that <clears throat> there's there's a lot of great uh, businesses and individuals that are kind of taking it upon themselves to be, you know, super creative in, in ways mm-hmm. to raise money for conservation. I had Sam Soholt on, um, maybe like a month and a half ago or so. And it yeah. was, he had told me offline about conservation crossroads, uh, or conservation crossing, excuse me, um, that him and his brother just launched. And I remember yep. telling him, I'm like, you know, he's done the duck stamp project for a few years and he's like, you know, it's it's a t shirt for $125. And then, you know, he went on to explain, you know, everything that went behind it. And I was, I told him, I said, Sam, you know, you, when you first started this duck stamp, you just told people like, hey, send me $25, just right to my personal Venmo, PayPal, like, just send me 25 bucks, I'll take care of it. I'm like, and you made almost $40,000 last it year. It
1: blew up, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I'm like, so if you're going to charge $125 for a t shirt, like, and offer five memberships to different organizations. I'm like, people aren't even going to blink an eye at that, you know? And right. it's, it, it's so cool to see how creative these people are for, for raising money. I mean, in the two years that he's done Stamp It Forward, it's like almost $70,000 for, for wetlands and, and habitat and migratory birds. I mean, it's just, it's incredible.
1: Yeah. Shout out to Sam. He's a good friend. And I i mean, he just does not quit with the creative ideas on how to keep this going. And every time he comes up with something, it's genius. So it he's hes definitely an inspiration for sure.
0: Yeah. I remember when I started my company and it's, it's very similar to, to like what Sam and Josh do. And I just reached out to him on Instagram and just kind of shot him a message. And, you know, he's been just awesome. Right. I mean, and that's the mm-hmm. one thing I found, like the more I talk to people or get to know people in the industry and in the world of conservation, like everyone's just awesome, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm always kind of waiting for that bad apple and someone to just, Mm -hmm. you know, just not be very forthcoming or just not be kind of what you've seen portrayed through social media and stuff. Because unfortunately that's, you know, when someone lives in Montana or Wyoming and and I'm here Mm -hmm. in Michigan, like that's, that's kind of all you have to go off of until you actually are able to talk to them. And everyone has been, been super cool and and trying to help in, in any way possible and you know hopping on the podcast for you know all these different people who I'm sure are just extremely busy to talk about the work that they're doing because while you know a lot of people know about Sam and a lot of people know about your artwork there's still a lot of businesses and companies out there that people you know aren't familiar with and they're just doing tremendous work for conservation and I just want to make sure that people can hear their stories as well.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I think that that is an awesome mission because likewise, I've met some of the most amazing people I've ever come to know through these organizations and through these events and just through the connections that are made through the conservation world. And you're right. It's, you're not going to find a more incredible, helpful, passionate group of people.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's the hunting community obviously is, is so small in, in, in kind of the, the big picture of things, but you know and and like anything there's bad apples and people that can kind of give you a bad name for those that are either you know non kind of committal one way or the other in terms of how they feel about hunting but you know the non-hunters it kind of gives them fuel as well but the people who are are in it for the right reasons are just yeah some of the best people that like you said that you'll meet and make friends with and Yeah. It's been, it's been a great experience, um, you know, dealing and interacting with, you know, these different organizations and and people involved in them. Cool. So obviously turkey season is just coming up. Do you have Mm -hmm. anything else like planned for this year that you're excited about big hunts or, or fishing trips or anything like that?
1: Yeah. Our, it's amazing that it's, April and our weekends are already booked. I mean, there's living in Montana. I don't want to talk it up too much because it's getting a little crazy with people moving here for this <laughs> purpose, but there's just so much to do. Um, Seth just bought a boat. That's like a big thing. We're going to do a lot of fishing this year. Um, we just got a new canoe. So, um, some float trips planned. There you go. Um, we're We're hoping to do actually a little bit of the tail end Turkey season, um, a hunt in South Dakota, which we've been talking about for a long time. Um, so I'm excited for that. Uh, yeah, just a lot of trying to take advantage of what we have at our fingertips here in Montana. Um, my, my brother's coming out actually a really fun thing that's happened through this is, um, my oldest brother has gotten into hunting as well. So he's coming out, um, next weekend for a Turkey hunt with some of his friends yeah, just we're we we do have a lot on the docket. Uh probably a little bit too much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> never. Never too much when it comes know, to the, when the it problem. comes to hunting. <laughs> no, I was uh I was in Bozeman uh last September and I've been to Montana um one other time previous to that, but I was up in Glacier up by Helena, up in that area, um, fly fishing uh with my family. And there's just it's It's such an incredible landscape and I've spent a lot of time in Colorado and just you think of the Rockies as the Rockies, but it's not. It's it's so vastly different from, you know, just two states away to Montana. I mean, Montana's rugged, in my opinion, compared to some of the other stuff that I'm used to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really sucks. It, it's horrible. Nobody should come here. <laughs> <laughs> I see what
0: you're doing there. That's my, yeah, I shouldn't have, I should have started that off saying like how much I enjoyed. It's being It's so there.
1: rugged. It's not even fun. <laughs>
0: yeah. You guys wouldn't like it at all. Listen to Kelsey. Um, so as far as, as your company goes, I mean, what are kind of some of the goals or, or things that you have, you know, as you're trying to build the business out?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, first and foremost, developing my skills. I, the, the number one goal is to just become a better artist. That's always my focus. Um, I have so many, like, like I was saying with the portraying emotions, I have so many ideas in my mind on paintings I want to make and just work. I want to put out there in the world that represents me as an artist. So, um, that's a huge goal. And then, a a goal on giving back is just to continue to, you know, the, the more my business prospers, the more I can give back financially. And the more I can advocate for conservation, so that is a goal of mine. Um, yeah, if I'm fortunate enough to just continue to build this at a steady and sustainable rate, I mean that's all I can ask for.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's great, and I'm glad you touched on that. That you know, the more your business grows, the more you're able to to advocate and to give back and, and raise money for conservation, because ultimately, I mean that's that's really what you know we're trying to do. So kudos.
1: Yeah, it's something that I'm really enjoying is like on Instagram, for example, this is just one way that this happens, but, um, a good portion of my following is just traditional people with traditional art interests that maybe not would not have had any exposure to the world of hunting at all. So if I can just really authentically show why and how I'm passionate about it, um, and not not try to push a message, just kind of be an example and introduce some of these um, people that are on my page for other reasons to it. Um, I think that that's you know something that I'll continue to try to do as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a, a uh, like you're in an interesting position where you you have this this platform of of followers that that enjoy your artwork and hunters and non-hunters alike, but it allows you mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Very like non-invasively kind of introduce them to the world of, you know, your world of hunting Mm -hmm. and how you view it through your eyes. And it's not, you know, like you just mentioned, like forcing them to, Mm -hmm. to see it, you know, that's, that's a, that's a really cool position to be in. And it's obviously one that can really, you know, affect, you know, how people view us as hunters
1: hundred mm-hmm. percent. I, I really enjoy some of the questions. Uh, a lot of the questions I get are just out of pure curiosity. You know, what are you what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And I've had some really awesome conversations with people that are outside this world about it. So that's yeah. been really rewarding and I hope to continue to do that.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. So before I let you go here, Kelsey, where can people um, find your artwork at?
1: So my website is krayartworks.com, K-R-A-E artworks with an s.com um on instagram i think i'm k k underscore ray john so r a e raise my middle name johns j-o-h-n-s on instagram um and that's it that's i'm limiting my social media channels to that there you go um yeah that's where you can find me
0: (laughs) okay well there you go uh, Kelsey, thank you so much for for taking some time to tell me more about your artwork, the work that you're doing for conservation. Uh, it's it's great, and I uh, enjoy talking to you again in the future.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Marcus.
0: All right, take care. Okay, well, thank you again to Kelsey for taking some time to join me on the podcast this week. Uh, I would like to thank the partners of the podcast, uh, Go Hunt and Stone Glacier, as well as the newly uh, uh, acquired partner, uh, Wild Rivers Coffee Co., um, definitely be sure to check all them out and, and support those companies that help make this possible. Uh, I would also like to thank the partners over at 2% for Conservation. If you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org, and there you can see all the certified brands, uh, including the ones that I just mentioned, that uh, you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media where they're going to post only... You know, very positive conservation-driven content and kind of keep you up to date with uh, the latest things in the conservation world to help you guys stay involved. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, remember to stay safe out there and conservation starts with you.